Hello and welcome back to Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all of the tropey stuff in between. As always, I am one of your hosts, John, and I am always joined by the lovely Anthony. How's it going? Pretty good, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty solid. Thank you for the lovely intro. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we didn't actually give anybody any kind of a heads up as to what we were doing for this episode. You'll get to that here in a minute. Real quick, before we do the news, I want to, I guess, apologize for the audio errors that we had for the Endgame episode. There was an issue that happened during the recording, and we didn't catch it until very much too late. So, again, if you listen to that one, we apologize for that. shouldn't happen again for any of these. We now are triple-checking. Yes. (laughs) All right, let's get into some news. Well, first up, I think it's kind of cool. If you haven't seen the remake of Suspiria, it is now available through Amazon Prime. So if you have a Prime account, you can watch the remake of Suspiria. I don't know about you, but I am super excited to watch that movie. Yeah, we we're both on record uh, as really excited to see the remake so i'm glad that it's somewhere where it's easily accessible i'm definitely going to watch it as soon as possible um another bit of horror news the writer from the dark knight david s goyer is going to be writing the new hellraiser remake Ooh, interesting right so it's supposed to be an evolved reimagining is what they're calling it yeah i mean i don't i don't know if it necessarily needs to be remade i mean to start off with, the, the Cenobites are a cool concept, but the Hellraiser movies are okay. I see why they're iconic, just because the design is incredible. But, like, the actual movies themselves are okay. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but the couple that I watched, I liked. They're they're gross, and yeah. it's, like, a little bit more torture-y, I guess, kind of before the Saw age. So, apparently, it's going to be worldwide theatrical distribution. So, it should be a bigger scale than what we've been getting with that franchise for a while now. Yeah, definitely. I know. I want to say the last few were straight to home, and that's uh, that's always, always a good sign. All right, and then the last thing I'll add for the horror, real quick, is Bruce Campbell, who is famous from the Evil Dead series, is going to be the new host of Travel Channel's Ripley's Believe It or Not. Huh. All right. So they're going to be bringing that show back, and he's going to host it, and it's going to you know explore bizarre and strange things. I mean, that's kind of a little of both. That, that crosses over into sci-fi. It's a great segue. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So obviously, uh, we're going to keep you updated on this as it comes through, because Avengers continues to kill it at the box office. From when we announced things last week, we're already another full billion over that. It's currently sitting at 2.272. So not adjusting for inflation or anything. It is the second highest grossing film of all time, past Titanic. Uh, And it's got its eyes on the prize as far as getting its way to Avatar. It's already the fastest movie to gross 2 billion. My guess is we're probably looking at maybe two weeks out to get past Avatar. It took Avatar, I think, a a full 14-week run. To get where it got to. Avatar and, was really slow. When it first came out, people didn't watch that movie. Yeah. And then slowly it built more and more momentum, I think, because it was the best use of the 3D technology. Yeah. When that was still up and coming. And then it, out of nowhere, blew up. It was wild. Because I was working at the theater when that happened. It was weird to see people suddenly flock to a movie that had already been out. 
some interesting news. The only movie that came close to the first week for Avengers, as far as what it grossed in the box office worldwide, was a movie from China. And that movie was released uh, globally on Netflix. It's still in theaters in China. And so obviously they're watching it like gangbusters over there. It's already the second highest grossing Chinese film of all time. It's called The Wandering Earth. No one knew it was coming to Netflix. Nobody really knew what it was about, but it's out now on Netflix. So if you're interested in checking it out, I would suggest to. It looks like a lot of people are really enjoying it. Is it a sci-fi movie? It is a sci-fi movie. It grossed uh, $700 million the same week that Endgame came out. So that's pretty nuts. That'll wrap it up for news this week. We'll go ahead and jump into our amazing, awesome trivia section. <laughs> All right, first up is going to be the monster category. The titular monster in Babadook is found in a pop-up book titled what? I'm pretty sure it's just titled The Babadook. It is called, you're going to beat yourself up, Mr. Babadook. Ah, fucking garbage. <laughs> garbage! What lead actor from the original 1956 film had a cameo in Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 78? I have no fucking idea. The only thing I remember from Body Snatchers is Sutherland, so I know it's not him. It's Kevin McCarthy. All right, moving on quickly to try and gain some momentum here. Gore and disturbing. In Final Destination 2 from 2003, how does death pursue the characters the order they escape it? Or the reverse order they escape it? We'll say reverse. That is correct. The reverse order they escape it to try and tie up loose ends. Yeah. Which... Then falls apart in subsequent sequels. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The co-directors of The Void from 2016 simultaneously were working on what DC comic book adaptation? Justice League. Ah, it's close based on release. Suicide Squad. Ah, damn it. Yeah, so um, a lot of the crew apparently worked for both of those films. Maybe that's why Suicide Squad sucked, because they were too busy doing other shit. I have a sneaking suspicion that Suicide Squad's problems had mostly to do with with, uh, studio interference. All right, next up is Psychological. What is the name of the villainous character Kathy Bates portrays in Misery from 1990? Annie Wilkes. Yes, nice. He's heating up. (laughs) Yes, too. Uh, What is the profession of the character Adam Kesher in Mulholland Drive? What year? (laughs) 2001. Oh, 2001. Okay, so not an Uber driver. (laughs) A professor. He's actually a film director. Ah, fuck. Paranormal. Which of these actors was not in Carrie? John Travolta, Sissy Spacek, Amy Irving, or Julianne Moore? In the carry from 1976. Gonna say Julianne Moore. That is correct. Although she did appear in the 2013 remake of the film. I kind of a trick question. Because she plays the mother. Right. So if I didn't give you the year, see, that's why the years are important, John. Well, I mean, considering the other three are in the original, I think I would have been able to, to suss it out. Give me the question. To sissy suss it out. <laughs> um, uh, also, he's on fire in 13 Ghosts from 2001. 
What is the given translation of the Latin phrase oculoros infernum? Eyes on fire. That's pretty fucking close. <laughs> uh, the eye of hell. Ah, uh, That's bitch. really close. It's not right, though. Let's Good. go on to Killer. <laughs> In Theater of Blood from 1973, Edward Lionheart recites passages by what playwright? I'm just going to say Shakespeare. That's correct. You're killing this card, dude. Man, if I just put a mister on the front of that first answer. <laughs> God damn. I don't think we've ever swept a card, right? I don't think so. Fuck. Uh, at the end of seven, the head of what actress was in the box? Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, there she is. That's Re- a fucking spoiler, bro. Say, say, there she is. Pepper Potts in the box. Um, <laughs> Pepper Potts in the box. Yeah. Uh, retroactive spoilers for seven. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you had, you had uh, what, 24 <laughs> years to figure it out? <laughs> Whoops. International is next. In what century is Onibaba from 1964 set? 19th? That is incorrect. It is the 14th century. Ah, okay. So I wouldn't have swept it either way, even if I'd gotten Mr. Fucking Babadook. In Goodnight Mommy from 2014, what body part of the titular mother is bandaged? Her torso. No, it's her face. Damn it. That's a win for John this week. Yeah. Congrats. After two weeks of terrible play. If you enjoyed that news segment and that crazy trivia, then go ahead and hop over to that subscribe button so you don't miss any of it on any of our future episodes. And don't forget that you can follow us on Instagram. That's where we post questions and cool pictures and keep you updated on episodes. And speaking of that, we have a couple of shout outs from Instagram that we would like to go ahead and do. Yeah, so um, we asked... Uh, who is your favorite Avenger or your favorite serial killer? And we had two people uh, go ahead and answer for both. Beverage12 on Instagram said that Iron Man was her favorite Avenger and Ted Bundy was her favorite serial killer. And uh, Maud Hepburn said Winter Soldier and H.H. H. Holmes. Nice. So that was a post we did regarding episodes about Endgame and about the last one with Ed Gein. Yeah. Endgame and Ed Gein. <laughs> <laughs> That was an accident, but I'm very happy we fell into that. Yeah, Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) All right, cool. So that's going to be into that, and we are going to go ahead and jump now into our segment, which is going to be about Final Girls. Yeah. So this one is a super interesting and divisive topic. It's a trope that's obviously got its fingers all over horror, especially in the slasher genre. and Which is my favorite. Yeah, I'm definitely a huge fan of slashers as well. And there are a couple of different camps of thought when it comes to what the final girl represents, whether it's some icon of of femininity or if it's something that's misogynistic in nature. And like I said, the controversy there is definitely, it's a touchy subject, but I think that a lot of times it's case by case, you know, Um, we'll talk about. Uh, some of why the controversy is there, where the origins come from, who actually coined the phrase. And we'll also talk about some of our favorite instances and why we think they stand up a little bit better than some of the more, you know, the more tropey versions of it. I have one that might surprise you, so I'll be looking will, forward to that segment. I think I might be thinking of the same one. So, like John was saying, the origin of this phrase so although the final girl idea dates back to before the term was coined 
the first person to use Final Girl was Carol Clover in a book that she wrote called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And that came out in 92. So she was the first person to use the term Final Girl. So even though that was when the term first came into use, there are Final Girls way before that. Yes. And you're looking at stuff like Halloween, Black Christmas, and those came out in the 70s. So this, although it's a newer term, I guess, the idea has been around a lot longer. It's hard to really date back the origins because there are very specific rules to what she says a final girl is. And I think that some of those rules aren't necessarily as important to the trope. I think that they've kind of spun it a little bit more interestingly now. And there are some people who subvert parts of the trope but still qualify as a final girl in my opinion. I guess let's talk a little bit about what a final girl is then. So a final girl is typically, obviously she is the last person to survive. Typically is a virgin, doesn't partake in drugs or illicit activities. And usually they have to kind of rise above some kind of issue in order to rise above it and become better than the killer by the end. And I think that there are some people who qualify and don't meet all the criteria and there are some people who come closer to meeting all the criteria and I and still don't necessarily qualify for it. And the the rules more or less aren't set in stone because yeah. there's definitely examples of people that don't fit into all those categories like virgin that are still I would consider final girls that don't necessarily abide by all the rules. The origins of the first time this really took place, uh, a lot of people point back to the 70s. The first movie that they really point at is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know that there are some instances where it's even before that, but it's also kind of before the slasher as well. A lot of people say that some of the criteria is met in Psycho, but it's still kind of iffy and it just doesn't make as much sense as it does with with Texas. I had that I thought too, thinking about the first instance of it, and I, Psycho did come across my mind, but the more I thought about it, the less that I felt like it held water because yeah, it just she's the only girl. Yeah, it just doesn't really matter. Whereas there's an entire group in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She survives at the end. She does it with help, which some people will point out and say that's the reason why she's not a final girl is because she got help. But I mean, you'd be looking at the same thing with other instances later down the line as well. But the fact that all of her friends were tortured and murdered and she was stuck in that house with the family and had to find her way out, I think that that makes her qualify character is uh, Sally Hardesty. Like I said, it is highly regarded as one of the earliest examples of what a final girl actually means. But in a similar time frame, you also have Black Christmas that came out the same year. And Jess Bradford definitely also qualifies for that trope. So I think the idea too behind it is you, you watch a slasher movie and at the beginning you're kind of rooting for the killer in a lot of ways. I think that's where the idea of the masculinity comes from. Yeah. Right? Where you're killer and you're stabbing. Yeah. Or something, you know, the penetration idea. Throughout the movie, depending on how much you like the final girl, and a case can be made whether you do or you don't, Mm -hmm. but when you get to someone like Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, I like Nancy. Yeah. So toward, there's a shift that kind of happens where you start rooting for the final girl, right? So at the beginning, you're like, yeah, fucking kill them all. Especially with the Friday 13th series, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want to see how creative Jason can be. But then there's a shift where you want the final girl to survive and see if she's going to and how she's going to get out of the situation that she's yeah. in. You kind of start rooting for it. So I think I see where the idea of the feminist comes in too, where it's like, yeah, let's let's root for the, the female. And I think that, like I said, I, in Black Christmas, I enjoyed Jess's character. I think that 
for that one, it was hard to even really root for Billy. I mean, if that's if that's who that actually is, we've gone on a long discussion about that in the past. We don't have to dig that <laughs> dig that old chestnut up, right? But he, I mean, all you really get is a voice over the phone, and you get some weird POV kills. That's it. You don't really get a physical person to root for. Whereas with like Halloween, you get you get the shape. He is terrifying, and you're you're rooting for him. You know, at least early on. Uh, but like I said, it definitely shifts when you find out where your real focus is on your team of quote unquote heroes. You know, you find out where the real shift is, you end up with more likable character. And that's part of where you end up, you know. And I think that that's a good point, too, where, yeah, the female is the hero or heroine, however you want to say it. And to me, that doesn't seem male centric. That seems, hey, we're rooting for the female. That seems like it would be a good feminist ideal. In some situations, it works that way. And in others, it doesn't feel that way. And I think that's part of where the controversy comes from. If you look at Last House on the Left, not the uh, original, because in the original, she wouldn't even necessarily really qualify as a final girl because she doesn't make it. Uh, spoilers. But in the in the remake, she makes it. It's super sadistic. At any point in time, if you rooted for the invaders, you have some some things you need to settle with your therapist because <laughs> there's, there's nothing, there's no redeeming quality about them. And that's not to say that there are these huge redeeming qualities about Freddy Krueger or or Michael Myers or Jason, but they at least have something to something to root for. Kind of the fact that they're like, you know, some of them are silent, some of them are not, but they're but they crack funny jokes. They make themselves likable in some way, shape or form. The characters don't go through dealing with rape and sexual assault and all these other crazy things. I mean, there's nothing redeeming about killing in general, but, <laughs> but it's for the sake of argument. Yeah. For the sake of argument, it personally, it's definitely a lesser of those evils, you know? Right. And I think that the beginning of the final girl idea too, was a damsel in distress kind of idea, right? Yeah. Where then this last girl was getting saved by somebody. It's a pretty common concept as you get further into the Friday the 13th franchise. I mean, even in the second one, there's a final girl in that one as well, uh, Ginny. I would like to talk about some key shifts. When it moved away from being a frowned upon trope to being, in my personal opinion, a symbol of power. And I think that that's an important thing to note too because now it, I feel like it's almost been adopted by by women and it's uh, it's okay to be a final girl yeah. it's, it's good to be a final girl you want to be the final girl because you are typically the smartest and strongest and most independent and able to survive these situations and that's not just of women that's of characters that's over men you know that's it shows that you have the ability to push forward and be the last person standing there's one that we'll talk about in one of our favorites that goes all the way back to uh, I believe it's the 80s, and I think that we won't talk about that one here. I think the shift in the genre came in the 90s with Sidney Prescott. Definitely one of my favorites. Yes. And a, again, a twist on the trope, too, because Sidney is not a virgin. Spoilers for Scream. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, you had 20 years. <laughs> Figure it out. Right. Um, so she is great, and she's the final girl in almost all of the... Franchise. I mean, yes. in the whole franchise. Yeah, I mean, they they make it a huge fucking thing in Scream Four. Like, it's a it's part of the part of the lexicon. She Don't is, fuck with the original. <laughs> yeah, like I said, she just exudes power in the way that they present that movie. Just it being a scenario where everything is on the table, all the cards are out there. You literally know the rules in the movie. 
she plays the game the best. I think that that's the reason why she stands head and shoulders above all of her counterparts. I mean, she's not the only person who survives Scream 1, but she's still the one that does the work, is the survivor, you know? Right, so I think that's an interesting point to make, too, because although she is considered a final girl, she isn't the last person surviving because you also get Randy and Gail. They're also both survivors, but they're not, I guess, part of that same ideal. Well, I mean, they weren't targeted. Randy did what he needed to do to survive, but Gail, she inserted herself practically. (laughs) She looked it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As that series moves on, like I said, more and more of Sydney's friends go away. I don't think we ever lose Gail. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she's a survivor, you know, and she finds a way to survive in every instance. And she outsmarts the male killers and the female character killers and the younger killers. So she's outsmarted everybody. Yeah. So it's not just about her overpowering the masculine character. She Mm -hmm. overpowers everybody because she is smart. And she is intelligent and she's a survivor and it doesn't have anything. And she, I mean, she breaks the tropes. I guess we don't really see her drinking or doing drugs, but I mean, she's a college student. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that she did a little bit of something, you know what I mean? And definitely with the sexuality that goes out the door in the first movie. And that's actually a big part of that movie. She plays the game incredibly well. And like I said, it opens the door for so many characters who take interesting turns on that trope and kind of flip it on its ear. So you're saying this is where the shift happened yes so we go from how the idea was presented originally into now we get this strong character almost fighting back because sydney's a fighter yeah i would definitely agree with that i think the most recent play of someone who has that similar type of strength i've gone on record in saying this movie probably wouldn't exist without scream tree from happy death day she is a perfect example She does have the sexuality because, I mean, she's just waking up from what you assume is a one night, even though I don't think anything actually happened. I don't think so, no. I think he's a nice guy. Yeah, I think he claims (laughs) that nothing happens. She literally has to die over and over and over again, but she finds a way to fight back and outsmart the killer. I haven't seen the sequel, so we'll on that uh I'll have to, hopefully that's how it goes yeah um, she was a good a good final girl and i think yes. that the slasher genre has kind of died down and we can talk about halloween versus halloween but yeah for the most part it's pretty much gone yeah at this point and sh- to see her in a different take on it and still have that idea presented and it'd be good i love that this one is a hard one i think that she's someone that should be praised and i think that she should be someone who's considered to be like a powerful female icon but i also could see the fact that she has to die over and over again in all these crazy ways i could see that being something that someone might point to and say that's a little sadistic no one's forcing themselves on her but the fact that you basically are just watching this girl get tortured over and over again there's something to say about that it is a little sadistic i think too the whole movie in general kind of shows in a way the evolution of the final girl right so we get her in the beginning and she seems kind of weak and she's unsure of herself and she doesn't really know what to do and then doesn't survive so she is almost the other people that get killed in something like friday the 13th right she's the other campers (laughs) getting picked off yeah and then we get to see her grow kind of like the trope itself grows and becomes something different and evolves and then toward the end she becomes strong and a survivor so she is looking for help but doesn't get it and then the end is able to overcome on her own outside of the sequel obviously because we haven't seen that (laughs) so another good person to look at in terms of the final girl i think is laurie strode so the main character from the halloween franchise i guess for the most part 
And I think it's interesting to compare her in the original Halloween to the most recent 2018 version of Halloween. And we look at her and she is a final girl in the original and she lasts and she survives. And she's not really the strongest character in that movie. She ends up getting saved more or less by Loomis, but I would still consider her a final girl because she survives. And then if you look at just going from that to the new one, not all the stuff in between, then she is the ultimate final girl. She survives for 40 years, still worried and paranoid about what's going to happen and preparing. So she's not weaker for having this experience. She becomes stronger and she's able to build on that idea and she prepares her daughter. And then not only that, she prepares her granddaughter. They become final girls. And I think the granddaughter especially is the final girl of the, the newest movie, the 2018 one. And so they together, instead of these like single entities become this force yeah, and a force to be reckoned with because spoilers for that, they end up, surviving obviously and more well from what we know destroying michael we all know that that shit ain't gonna happen he's, gonna, <laughs> he, he's getting out of that basement but like i said i think that it's another way that they've taken the trope and they've grown it and they've turned it into something like i said that's super empowering that movie was 100 percent about about flipping the script i mean we talked about it when we did the review for it i mean the fact that the shoe was on the other foot in a lot of ways and you saw the similarities and the fine line between being a psychopath and being a hero. How many things that took place in that film that were Laurie basically doing the same things that Michael did to her in the first place. Like I said, I think that there's so much value in that portrayal. Are you saying that a case could be made that Michael was the final girl? <laughs> no, because no, he didn't make it. <laughs> I mean, we think he made it, but looked like he didn't make it. <laughs> Yeah, I hope they wait another like 10 years and just call it Halloween again. Yeah. That's not confusing for anybody. <laughs> there aren't already three of them now. I know, right? That are just titled Halloween. Anyway, so, and then the idea is also played with a lot too. So there's this comedy called The Final Girls, mm-hmm. and it takes the idea of that where this girl, her mom was a famous scream queen and a final girl, and then she grows up watching her movies and then gets, I think she gets sucked into the movie and then has to survive knowing the final girl's ideas of, of what that is and how to survive. So I think that's an interesting take too, where in the 80s, it might have not been a sign of empowerment and then modernizing it and using it as, hey, now I know what I need. I have the tips to survive and using that to outsmart the killer and then become a symbol for empowerment essentially. Yeah. So I guess we could talk about some of our favorites yes, if you want to. We've we already def- talked about Sydney. Sydney's probably my favorite. I love Sydney. I think she's great. And Scream, I've gone on record saying, is my favorite yeah. franchise. <laughs> uh, I, I, you touched on it for a nanosecond. I love Nancy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Nancy Thompson? Yeah. Great. Yeah, she's great. And she fights back a lot, too. So mm-hmm. we get to see her fight, I think. But you still really root for Freddy in most of those movies. But like, uh, of all of the people who make it to the end of those films, Nancy's the best. The fact that she is like, I'm going to take this to his turf is just, it's fucking dope. So she plays with the idea too, but she is very much a typical final girl where we don't ever see her do anything unpure, I should say. Yeah, she follows all of the steps of the trope, which like I said, is part of the reason why she doesn't feel necessarily as empowered as somebody like Sidney Prescott. She still is a great character. Uh, She's a great foil to Freddy Krueger. And like I said, the fact that like she's able to battle back with that sense of purity and with her intelligence, she's able to battle back against somebody who is legit terrifying, you know? Right. And he is probably the most, 
one of the most sadistic yeah. killers out there. And then I think Lori, we talked about it uh, quite a bit, but yeah. I mean, she's great. Lori Strode and in, in all of them, really, that she's in. One, two, H2O, and uh, H4O, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. <laughs> yeah, she, she shows a lot of growth. And I know that we lose some of what that character actually means in the skip over, right. going for directly from one to 2018. I still think that her character was valuable in all of those instances. And Jamie Lee Curtis is incredible. And she's a scream queen. That's what she does. So I think that's another thing to look at where she's she's idolized as being a part of this genre and as someone to look up to and a strong symbol. So I know we both said that we have one that we think is kind of a little bit of out of left field that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And I'm pretty sure we're thinking about the exact same person. Before we do that, I want to mention someone from a crossover, mm-hmm. horror sci-fi, who I think is probably one of the strongest female characters in either genre. And that is Ripley. Yeah, that's the person I was saying would be oh, really? shocking. Yeah. Oh, see, no, I think she's great. And I think I think that she kind of gets skipped over because yeah. it's more of a sci-fi Movies, those movies are a little bit more sci-fi based, mm. but I mean, she is a fucking final girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think part of the reason why is because you don't have, you don't see as much of the growth. Ellen Ripley is strong from minute one of that movie. That, like I said, that character is a huge feminist icon and for a reason, because she's badass as shit. <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's not that she has to grow and learn. She does adapt, but she's already awesome to start with. And I think that that's the... I mean, that's part of the reason why she gets kind of skipped over in this conversation. But she's amazing, and she's super resourceful and does what she needs to do to survive in a dickload of Alien movies. And I think that character is great. The one that I was going to mention that I didn't think that you would is Ash Williams from the Evil Dead series. (laughs) Because he's not your typical horror movie like Jock, right? So he is kind of this goofy... Not to say that he's feminine, but he is kind of a little bit more goofy and not this ideal symbol for masculinity. And then his name is Ashley, yeah, <laughs> which is a, a woman's name typically, especially nowadays. And I think that a case could be made that he is the final girl of at least one and two. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting concept. Obviously, he's not a girl. I mean, and they kind of take that, that concept and they kind of give it a little more credence in the remake because you do still get an Ash and that still is the lone survivor kind of a deal. Uh, So I think that that lends a little credence. If you're taking the same character, you're remaking the story for a more modern audience with less of like the campiness and you make that character a girl and she goes through all the same things. I would definitely say that that adds value to that that conversation. And and I think that's cool. Another way that that trope is used and kind of turned on its head. And that was pretty early on. And so I like to think of him as a final girl, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds stupid when I say it, but whatever. That about sums up our, our feelings, like I said, we mentioned some of our favorites. We talked about why it's a controversial concept, why we think in a lot of ways it does empower women, especially looking from like the 90s forward. A lot of a lot of people who are considered the final girl are very powerful people. And I think that they're really well fleshed out characters in most cases. Yeah. So if you're interested in more of this final girl idea, I would recommend checking out Carol Clover's book. Again, that's Men, Women, and Chainsaws. It opens up a lot of ideas that are presented in the modern-day horror film. We'll go ahead and let you know what we're going to be doing for next week so you can prepare yourself. Uh, We're going to go ahead and knock a couple more off of our sci-fi misses list. So we're each going to watch one. You'll figure out which ones they are next week when we talk about them. 
as always, don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to keep up to date on all of this goodness and let us know what we're doing right. You can find us on all of our socials. That's everywhere at Porcelain Peak. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want to shoot us an email or if you have any feedback, you can hit us at porcelainpeak at gmail.com or you can float over onto our website, porcelainpeak.com. I'd like to mention too that if you give us a five-star review and a shout out on iTunes or if you answer any of our Instagram questions or provide us feedback in any way, then we will go ahead and shoot you a shout out on the next episode that we can, all right? So stay active. And always, thank you guys so much for listening. Keep it creepy. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production. Caroline, Caroline, need a golden calculator to divide. To divide. <laughs> I, I love that song. Like I low key am super into Outcast. I mean, Andre 3000 was considered like one of the best rappers for a minute. Need a golden calculator to divide. To divide. <laughs> All right, that's probably a good test. <laughs>